I'm Katie Atwell, co-host of the Edugals podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Dr. Lana Israel is a globally recognized learning expert with a remarkable background of entrepreneurship. At age 13, she founded her first company, Brain Power for Kids Incorporated, and wrote her first book on learning. While still a teenager, she launched a career as an international speaker on memory authored additional books on learning and memory, consulted with school systems, and produced award-winning multimedia educational content. Lana's undergraduate research in experimental psychology at Harvard has been cited over 800 times, and she completed her doctorate at Oxford University. She's been recognized with numerous awards, including the Nobel Prize Visit Award and the British Brain Trust's Brain of the Year Award for her contributions to global education. And her media appearances have included Good Morning America, This Morning UK, and Good Morning South Africa, and many, many more. And now, the Ed Curation Podcast. You need to know the S, the Y, when graph is the mission. You're listening to the Ed Curation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional resources, practices, and movements that are reshaping learning. I've had at least 15 students who have increased more than four grade levels. Used theater as a tool to make great human beings. My expectations are high for all of them. One of the things that I really love about teaching is the fact that every day is sort of unique and different and strange. Israel. Welcome to the Ed Curation Podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. (laughs) So I want to talk, we're going to talk mostly today about music enhanced and assisted learning. Yep. But there's so much to talk about before we get there. And it might just be my curiosity, but I find your personal story as compelling as what you've created. Because (laughs) yeah, you wrote your first book when you were in eighth grade. So yeah. My fascination with learning, as you pointed out, began when I was quite young. Um, And my eighth grade science project, which I did on a learning technique called mind mapping, Mm -hmm. um, became the basis for a book that I wrote and, and a mini career. My dad, who was a training consultant and an author, had this book that he said, I think you'll find interesting and it might give you an idea for your science project. But this book was written by a British psychologist for adults and all of the applications of mind mapping were for business and industry. Okay. And so, um, and so what mind mapping is a visuospatial way of organizing, documenting, generating information. So as an eighth grader, I'm like, I don't care about business and industry. Like I care about taking notes and passing a test and writing an essay. Can I use this technique for the things that I have to do as an eighth grader? I actually did a small scale randomized control trial with my classmates as guinea pigs. Mm -hmm. And we obtained evidence that indicated that mind mapping actually worked. 
And so on the basis of that science project, I was then invited to present my research at a global education conference in Sydney, Australia that summer. And in preparation for the conference, my dad told me, hey, when you present in front of a group of people, which I had never done before in my life, yeah. um, you're supposed to put a handout together. And I said, well, dad, handouts are boring, number one. And number two, I'm trying to reach kids to explain how they can use this technique. And I know it's going to be all adults mm -hmm. and educators attending my presentation. So what if instead of a handout, I wrote a book for kids that taught them how to use mind mapping and apply it. And okay. so that's how my first book was born, <laughs> Brain Power for Kids, okay. How to Become an Instant Genius. And I um, printed 50 copies with a local printing house in Miami, got to Australia. Within 24 hours, I was all over national media. Um, and within two weeks, I had a book publishing deal. Wow. Okay. So I just need a few details here about <laughs> how the invitation came about, first of all. And then I also know that listeners are wondering, can we still get our hands on that book? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I think I think you can find it on eBay, I want to okay. say. All right. Um, to answer your first question, it, it was quite a coincidence that led me to Australia. One of my former elementary school teachers mm -hmm. happened to be at our house working with my younger sister on a project. And I wasn't home at the time, but she saw my science project board and she was attending this conference in Sydney. And when she saw my research, she, she had this light bulb go off and she's like, it would be amazing to actually have a student at this conference presenting research. That's how kind of by accident, as a teenager, I started a career okay. in the learning space because mm -hmm. I got back home from Sydney and suddenly I was getting invitations to lecture and present to teachers, parents, students throughout South Florida, then throughout the United States, then globally. Mm -hmm. And so wow. for the next several years, I continue to research innovative approaches to learning. If I'm understanding right, you were really instrumental in laying the foundation for these practices to then become much more pervasive? Are they now commonly they, used they and are. learned about? Yeah, they're okay. still, I, I, and that's what's so exciting when I say mind mapping to a teacher and they're like, oh, I know what that is. Like, of course, so they're, we and, use that. So yeah, so are they, are they teaching these applications pretty readily to students? And it not only enhances memory and increases retention, but it helps people to organize information in a way that enables them to think about it more deeply. So we synthesize our learning on a deeper level. Correct. I'm understanding right. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So then you moved on to, to Harvard and then Oxford. Am I, do I have that in the right order? You do. Yeah. Okay. So why did you then move into the field of psychology? Um, I, so I was just fascinated as you can tell mm -hmm. um, at a very young age with how people with, learn with, how yeah, with the brain, the mind, yeah. memory. It was just, I loved it. Right? I was so intrigued by my first couple of weeks on campus. I, I decided to start writing for the, the Crimson, the college paper. And one of the first stories I got assigned was to interview this really, um, I wouldn't even say he was beyond up and coming. This just like a really amazing professor in the psychology department who 
um, was doing really incredible work and getting amazing accolades and recognition. And his focus was memory. And I think that interview, which was supposed to last 20 minutes, turned into probably an hour and a half Mm -hmm. of having dialogue with this incredible professor. And within uh, a few weeks, I was working in his lab and he became my undergraduate thesis supervisor. Would you say you're a researcher at heart? Is that? I'm, yeah, I'm definitely a researcher at heart. However, that's coupled with a desire to put that research to use in an actionable way. Okay. Um, which is really what gave birth to musology. Yeah. Um, was a- after I did my graduate work at Oxford, as you mentioned. And, mm-hmm. um, and was also in psychology. Also right? in psychology. It was yeah. in experimental psychology. So so where does the music, before you talk about musology, where does music come in? Because were you always a musician? How did that right turn happen or the left turn? Or- so as a child, the, my second obsession was music. Okay. Um, I right. started. It was always there. I, it was always there. I started playing piano at 10 and writing music at 10. Uh, my mom, who's a retired doctor, was a piano prodigy and on the radio as a teenager. And she either had to make a decision, become a professional concert pianist or go to medical school. Mm-hmm. And she wound up going to medical school. But so I was surrounded, you know, my by virtue of that, I grew up in a musical household. My dad wasn't a musician, but loved music. And so I was pretty obsessed with music at a young age. Um, my dream was to be a songwriter, actually. Okay. So, so when did the marriage of these two fields and passion of yours, of psychology, brain science, memory, enhanced learning, when did you start to see the connections with music? Was it, do you always kind of see that there was this connection or did it dawn on you one day? It dawned on me. So, you know, surprisingly, the answer is not really. It wasn't it wasn't always obvious to me in a way where like when I was working with my math, I'm like, this stuff is so obvious. This is how you use it. Um, what happened was I had finished my graduate work in England. I was doing a postdoc at Oxford and I joke that I had an early life crisis. I was in my early to mid twenties and um, you just finished Oxford and you were already having this crisis. Why didn't I go into songwriting? Well, what happened was I said, you know what? I want to be a songwriter. And I left England, moved to Manhattan, and I started working in the music business as the assistant. Immediately out of grad school. Um, I took about nine months, actually. And I wound up, during that period of time, getting connected with a music producer in New York through some family friends um, who was looking for an assistant. Okay. So he hired me, and truly, I was his assistant, like, you know, part of... My responsibilities were getting lunch, booking flights, booking cars, you know, Um, and um, my dad called me once a week and asked me if I had lost my insert expletive mind. Yeah. Um, And like, hello, Dr. Lana (laughs) Israel, what are you doing? You're getting coffee. Something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we had this this amazing producer I work for, unbelievably talented. we had a big number one hit within about six months with Jessica Simpson. I don't know if you remember yeah, her at yeah, the time. Sure. I, I very quickly found myself in, in the center of you know all things the music industry. And it was at that time that I had this. There it was. The the, epiphany. The, that, that's, where, that's when I had the epiphany. I was like, 
Okay, as a former memory researcher, we get excited when we come across any type of methodology or intervention if it does three things. Like one, obviously, improves learning to some degree, right? Mm -hmm. um, but if it's replicable okay. and systematically we understand why we're getting the effect and then we have a sense of the size of the effect, like that's really exciting in the education space. Like okay. that's the holy grail. Yeah. And by the way, when we find those things, they're few and far between. And usually you're looking at a modest effect. You're not looking at these massive learning effects, but mm -hmm. hey, we'll take it. And so what occurred to me is every day people come into our studio, a song doesn't exist. Hours later, a song exists. Mm -hmm. And if an artist decides to record it and it gets released and it's played again and again on radio, you know, within months, millions of people know every word to this song that didn't exist on any given morning. Mm -hmm. um, so, and they'll know it 30 years from And they'll now. know it for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty fascinating to me as a memory researcher. So I'm going, ding, 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 this is replicable, right? This is happening mm. with millions of people. So then systematically, why is this happening? And so that's when I started to research more of the neuroscience of music. And there was this growing body of evidence that music directly activates brain regions that are critical for successful learning, namely memory, attention, motivation, and emotion. And if you speak to educators or parents about the greatest challenges they face with students, that's your short list. How do I get them to pay attention? How do I get them motivated to learn? How do I get them emotionally engaged with what they're learning? And PS, retention, big issue, right? right? Yeah. Kids learn something and forget it. So I'm going, okay, this is replicable. Systematically, we know why we're getting the effect. We still don't know all of the mechanisms, you know, neurologically that drive the effect. But, but you're saying that there is a significant body of research around. There's a growing music. body. There's yeah. a, there's a growing body of research of okay. neuroscience and music. Okay. It's a very important, very exciting area of research right now with incredible minds. And know, we've in the known field. about music therapy for years. Yeah. So well, it's not surprising that. Well, by the way, um, music has been used to pass on information for kind of, gosh, I mean, as long as we've. All of recorded history. Uh, yeah, all of recorded history, right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, pre-literacy, mm -hmm. you, you, lyric poetry, rhythm, song was used to convey information. Mm -hmm. um, it, this is an idea, you know, it's kind of as old as the sun, you could say, right? Yeah. This is, it's not a new idea, the idea of using music to facilitate learning. And that was part of this eureka moment for me. I'm going like, here's this unbelievably powerful medium that creates these massive learning effects. There might be a song you haven't heard for decades. You hear it and boom, all the words come back to you. I kind of call it the drugstore effect. I don't think you can walk into a drugstore and not hear a song come on in the drugstore where you go, I know every word to that. I was at a Walgreens two days ago and Eternal Flame came on and there I am singing every word to it. I don't know the last time I heard Eternal Flame. And the funniest thing was the uh, the drugstore manager started singing it with me, right? With so yeah. I'm like, I haven't heard this song for decades. That's an that's a massive learning effect. That's not a small effect. That's not a mod that's a massive learning effect. So w what occurred to me was here's this medium 
that's been used for centuries to convey information and is one of the most powerful learning technologies, I would call it a learning technology, that we have at our disposal as human beings. And yet, when you look at how music's used in the context of learning, it's limited to early childhood learning. And then we're saturated, mm -hmm. right? And then after about kindergarten, first grade, bye-bye Miss American Pie, the music dies, right? Then when we start to look at K-12 formal education, short of one-off novelty songs here and there, so many of us still remember Conjunction Junction, I'm a bill on Capitol Hill. So that's no joke, because when you think about that, when you start talking about music enhanced learning, everybody refers to that. And yep. that was what, in the 70s? Yep. I still remember all of those. It's the only reason I can say the preamble to the Constitution. Yeah. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility. I joke that pretty much everyone you meet has this story. When I was in fill-in-the-blank grade, my fill-in-the-blank subject teacher introduced us to a song on fill-in-the-blank, and I still remember it to this day. I mean, everybody has one of those stories, whether yeah. it's 50 Nifty United States or the periodic table yeah. or quadratic. They can't quote anything else they learned in third grade. But if I said to you, hey, could you remember verbatim any math lesson you had in third grade on any given day. Do you even day. remember your third grade teacher's name? You'd, you'd be like, that's the most ridiculous question. That's impossible. Why are you asking me that? Mm -hmm. Right. So suddenly it's, of course I can remember my favorite song in third grade. Or if it plays. Or if it plays, know it. I'll know every word to it. Mm -hmm. But no, human beings can't remember what they learned in third grade verbatim decades later. And so what's really fascinating is well, actually, you can. You can. And what we've demonstrated, we've now done years of, of research from uh, randomized controlled trials to more correlative studies, looking at musology's methodology, mm -hmm. and we're obtaining data that, quite frankly, flies in the face of contemporary understanding of how learning, memory are supposed to work. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's fascinating to see what happens when music enters the equation. So it's like finding this treasure chest that's been there all along. Yep. Why have we not yep. opened it and started to spin the coins? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Love that. Okay. So I want to ask about the music. Does it matter what kinds of music you're using? And does it have to be good music? So I say that all music is better than no music, but okay. all music isn't graded equally, right? Because it's not all catchy. Um, it's so, um, I mean, that's kind of a little bit of like a flippant response to your question, but obviously the catchier uh, the music is, the better. Okay. And actually we've received now two grants from the National Science Foundation and we're researching this very question. So are there certain elements of uh, a composition or music or a song that optimize it in a learning capacity. The demands on the quality of the music goes up as the student's age goes up. So mm -hmm. when we're talking about middle school and high school students, which is the part of the demographic we serve, mm -hmm. yeah, it's gotta be good music. It's gotta be good. It's gotta, it's gotta, gotta be, be good. Engaging. It's gotta be engaging. It's, it's gotta, gotta be cool. sound, it's gotta be cool. It's gotta sound current. And so that was you know, part of our innovation 
was to say, let's coming out of the music industry and um, my co-founder in musicology is Bob Doyle, who's Garth Brooks's longtime manager, who is kind of a music industry veteran and worked in the industry for decades. Hey, so you can probably tell that we're conducting this interview in person. We're in Nashville, Tennessee, in the very office of Bob Doyle, Garth Brooks manager, and a bunch of other music industry deities. And I'm surrounded by all kinds of different award paraphernalia. And there's this tiny handwritten in pencil thank you note on the door from Taylor Swift. I feel like I've passed behind the curtain in Oz. It's like we were able to harness a network of really amazing number one hit songwriters, Grammy award-winning music producers, and create really, really compelling musical content. I mean, the comment we get the most from educators and students is, this is way, and actually from professionals, professional songwriters is, this is better than I thought it would be. Like, this is really good music. This mm-hmm. is so, um, like I want to sing this song about quadratic equations. Yeah, I think one of <laughs> one of uh, one of my favorite comments from a student, and I'm quoting this verbatim, even though it wasn't put to a song, I still remember it. Uh, but this music is so lit, they should play it at our school dance. What we set out to do was one, instantiate music as a credible pedagogical tool, two, to demonstrate that we could teach entire subjects using the power of music, not just one off Mm -hmm. ideas and concepts. And three, demonstrate that we could teach fairly technical content using the power of music and that we could transcend rote memorization because that's what people ask a lot. They're like, oh, are you just helping kids memorize? And while there's value in that, there's limited value in that. And our answer is we intentionally wanted to demonstrate that we could use the power of music to create songs and music videos that teach uh, procedures, concepts, ideas, not just rote memorization. So we actually started with math. That was the, that was our, our first offering teaches students pre-algebra maps to middle school math. We're expanding to elementary school right now. Um, and that was when this, we, um, we did our first randomized control trial end of 2015. Okay. And we tested the first version of the platform with 300 summer school students in Knoxville, Tennessee, summer 2016. Okay. This is making me think of a story that my daughter shared with me when she was in AP U.S. History, and the fact that so many of her classmates credited their success on that AP World History or AP U.S. History exam to Hamilton. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Hamilton is the perfect example, Mm -hmm. right? I Mm -hmm. mean, you couldn't have a better example of the learning power of music and it couldn't have been kind of produced and done and delivered any better right that's as good as it gets and the level of engagement oh and all of a sudden students are interested in something that 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 wasn't interesting that wasn't interesting to them right yeah Yeah. they're they're not just interested they know it and and that's a really quite frankly that's a very important point that you make because 
while I developed musology thinking about the academic gains mm -hmm. that I knew music would drive for students, what I really wasn't thinking about then and what I would say I'm most proud about now are these transformations that happen for learners at the level of motivation, pride, self-confidence, engagement. Mm -hmm. So math tends to be the, the, the subject it is. that most students would say they struggle with, mm -hmm. that they're not interested in. And by the way, it's kind of okay to have this math phobia or this math stigma in math our culture. Anxiety is a yeah, whole thing. It's a thing where you go, yeah, I'm afraid of math. And it's also a thing to go, yeah, you know what? I'm not good at math. My parents weren't good at math. Like, you don't really walk around going like, yeah, I'm illiterate. My parents are illiterate. Like, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But yeah, with math, it's kind of acceptable to think yeah. of it that way. I mean, we've sadly had kids say to us things like, I'm dumb, which is a horrible thing to hear a young person say. I'm dumb. Math is hard. And within weeks of using musology, we have these same students saying, I now love math. It's my favorite subject. Mm -hmm. And musology has not just given me confidence in my ability to do math. It's given me confidence in my ability to do anything. Yeah, because if you are able to be successful in the thing that was your obstacle, anything that possible. was your sticking point, yep. and you conquer that, you can do anything. And that's what every, every student wants to feel, mm -hmm. that sense of efficacy. They want to experience that achievement. They want to feel that sense of pride. And when they do, like you're saying, they want more of it. So yeah. then they start to become motivated. They start to become like all the things that parents and teachers are struggling to get mm -hmm. students to, how do I get them engaged? How do I get them motivated? The beauty of a platform like Musology mm -hmm. is that transformation happens naturally once that learner starts to experience success and see what they're capable of. And it's the most beautiful type of transformation. We have teachers tell us that behavior issues go down and attendance goes up once they start using Musology. When you can take something that's painful and you can meet students where they live on their own terms. And what do students love? They love music and they love music videos. They're amongst the highest consumers. Young people are amongst the highest consumers of music. Mm -hmm. um, they also love games. And so what we did was we actually merged both of those things together. So in addition to instructional music videos that teach math, we also have a series of gamified challenges, which mm -hmm. are really quizzes disguised as challenges and students progress through silver, they level up to gold and then platinum, and okay. they, they earn silver, gold, and platinum records at, every time they get 100%. Mm -hmm. And so we've, we're meeting kids where they live. I don't know if you're familiar with Sir Ken Robinson. He, um, he always said that for a lot of kids, math is a party to which they were not invited. Interesting. That's what the way that they, they feel about it. Yeah. And it's particularly tricky because math is cumulative. And so the failure becomes That's right. cumulative. That's like, correct. I didn't understand this piece, and now we're moving on to this piece. And I can never be successful with this piece without the last piece. That's absolutely right. And so right. now I'm a double failure, and it just keeps compounding in ways that other content areas don't. That, that, so that's absolutely right. And so if you can't fill those missing rungs for those kiddos, they're never going to climb that ladder. And that, I mean, it's exactly what we hear from educators. And by mm. the way, the, the educators say it could be as simple as you know, a kid was sick and out of school for a couple of days when something was taught, or they struggled with a particular topic. And that could be this kind of tipping point that sends them down the spiral where they, yeah. they can never catch up. They'll never catch up. We're in a situation where kids tend to struggle with math in the best of times. 
now we have a situation where kids have had really hampered math learning for three academic years yeah. now. They're figuring out how they fill in these massive gaps. I want to give some some really clear parameters to our listeners around exactly what museology is. So it's not a comprehensive curriculum. It's a supplemental correct intervention resource. It's a supplemental learning supplemental platform. learning yep. platform. Yep. For grades five through eight, really. Correct. It's okay. yeah. So um, our but it could definitely stretch in either of those directions. It could stretch in 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 Especially either direction. That. Yeah, exactly. So we're seeing because of these learning gaps we're talking about right now, we're actually seeing usage through high school, and we're even seeing usage in community colleges right mm -hmm. now, which we hadn't typically seen before. Um, and we're in the process of augmenting the offering to include. Um, upper elementary school. So, okay. you know, to your point, museology is not a comprehensive curriculum. It's a supplemental mm -hmm. learning platform. The good news there is it supports and supplements whatever math, whatever, whatever math, you know, curriculum a student happens to be using. That's the really good news. Mm -hmm. And it helps accelerate learning. It helps fill in gaps. It helps teach things the first time a student is learning it. Mm -hmm. So, um, there's a lot of flexibility as to how the platform can be used. And you know, the good news as well is it's really, really easy for teachers to implement or even you know, to parent, for parents to use yeah. at home with their kids. Well, and to this problem of kids being all over the map as far as where, particularly right now, as far as where they're, yep. they're at in their learning, um, it sounds like it would be very easy to, to differentiate instruction. I had a teacher say to me, I have 30 kids in a classroom and they're all at 30 different levels yeah. in math right now. Mm -hmm. She's like, I've never in my oh, close to 30 years teaching, I've never encountered. I mean, we've always had that, but not to the extent that we're seeing now. We're seeing now. Um, so um, the platform, in addition to um, instructional music videos, we have a series, as, as I had mentioned, a series of in-platform formative assessments. So basically in-platform quizzes that don't feel like quizzes, they feel like a game to a kids, game. but they get progressively more challenging as a student levels up. So that becomes a way for a teacher or parent to gauge a student's growth. But then we also have customized playlists. So teachers can create a playlist, assign that to an entire class, groups of students or individual students mm. as a mechanism to differentiate instruction. Okay. And I've had teachers say that that's the feature of the platform that's really saving them right now. I can, I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, I'm even thinking back to my days in the classroom, you know, long before COVID, but just that continual challenge of figuring out how, because teachers will tend to just sort of aim for the, the middle, middle and hope yep. for the best. Right. And it doesn't work. Nope. Nope. Especially not in math. I'll tell you what's fascinating. Last academic year, um, McKinsey and company did a study on learning loss mm -hmm. and they found that on average students lost about, they experienced about 10 months okay. of learning loss. Wow. Last year, a teacher in Little Rock, Arkansas, who used museology consistently with her students. Some of them were remote, some of them were in class. Sometimes she was doing hybrid, but that's what she did consistently with all of her students. Um, on NWEA's MAP growth assessment, which is nationally benchmark measure mm -hmm. of, of learning growth in math, at the end of the school year, while majority of students throughout the country fell behind close to a year, 
her students showed on average two to three years of learning growth. Wow. So, so it's important to emphasize that for anyone who might be listening and still thinking that this sounds like edutainment or, you know, a way to just sort of pacify kids and engage them, but that it's not actual instruction. Yeah. It's not fluffy. I mean, this it's is not fluffy at so, all. It's real. such a solid research base, but yeah. not just research outcomes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, we have the outcomes to show. What are, what are your favorite you mentioned a few of your favorite success stories, but I want to give you a chance to share a few more. Um, well, to your point about you know, this is not fluffy content. I mean, we work with subject matter experts. We work with some of the greatest minds in you know, math mm-hmm. education and learning and mathematics. Um, and our music videos also combine insights and best practices from cognitive psychology, mm-hmm. learning theory, um, perceptual science. There's a lot that goes into crafting our music videos. This isn't just like, hey, today I'm going to pick up a guitar and I'm going to sing the times tables and put a camera right there and I hope you like it. Like, yeah, and teachers think of it as like this idea of an anticipatory set. We're just going to get their attention with a little music video. It's no, these, it's the actual instruction. This does heavy lifting instructionally. Oh, so, good. so one of my favorite success stories was a, a student who had failed eighth grade math. He was a star football player. So every high school wanted him mm-hmm. to pass summer school and they all wanted him to be their quarterback. And um, I remember talking to him at the end of summer school, just saying, hey, you know, what did you, what did you think when your teacher said you were gonna go to a website to learn math? He said, I thought it was gonna be really boring because school makes me sleep, math puts me to sleep. He said, and I couldn't believe it when I went to the website and I saw music because I love music. These were his words. Music wakes me up. Those were the words Mm. he used. Music wakes me up. And I said, so was the platform helpful? Absolutely, it was helpful. Now I think he's just telling me what I want to hear. I said, can you give me an example? He says, yeah. My teacher taught one-step equations for two months and I never understood it. And I watched the music video on the website one time and I finally got it. Are mathematical statements with an equal sign And you need to solve these for their variables each and every time Here is the way to solve one-step equations Steps are the same for all operations Here is the way to solve one-step equations Here is the way the steps are the same Another story I had from a teacher who had a, I want to say 10th grade student who still hadn't mastered sixth grade fractions. And as a result, he was essentially on a special ed path in math. Okay. Not unusual. And she became his teacher in 10th grade. She put him on musology. She said within about a month using our music videos on fractions, he finally got fractions. Now that he... The sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, this is the fifth year the system has been trying to teach him fractions and he couldn't get, it. couldn't get it. And within a month of using museology, he got it. And so she told me that he actually was incredibly mathematically gifted. And once he broke through that, he went on to become one of her best students. Wow. And she's, 
it's it's amazing. And she called his mother and said, I, I'm I'm it was before end of the year, it was in December, and she said, I'm just calling to tell you um how well your son's doing on my math class. And she said, his mother said to her, I've gotten lots of calls about my son over the years. None of them were none of them were good calls. Yeah. There's gonna be something very special for him under the tree this year. I that changes a kid's whole trajectory. It changes right? it changes a kid's life. I could go on for hours with stories like that. Wow. That's that's the magic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And you talking about the kid with the fractions for five years. Yeah, five I years. Mean, something had kicked in for him uh, around just being paralyzed. Oh yeah. Because after five years, you're not you got you're you've given up. Your belief in your ability to break through this wall is non-existent. Right? No, of course. You've, just, you've given course. up. And that's exactly what happens. Like these kids get stuck in this negative self-reinforcing feedback loop where they believe mm -hmm. I'm dumb, math is hard, I can't do it. And so if that's your belief, well then you don't apply yourself. You don't pay attention in class. You don't study what's the point. I'm dumb, yeah. math is hard. What musology does is it stops that spiral in its tracks and kids are suddenly like, this is interesting. And then they take a quiz and they get an 80 and 90, a hundred and they go, that doesn't fit into my belief system. They're getting disconfirmatory evidence, right? Like, what mm -hmm. do I do with this? And it kind of actually intrigues them, pulls them in further. And suddenly these kids, the spiral gets turned the other way around where they go, wow, I can do this. Mm -hmm. I'm able to do math. This feels good to achieve. I want more of this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to study. And so we have teachers say to us that the entire classroom dynamic changes once they start using musology, even when they're not on the platform. Well, to change that core belief that learning is always painful yep. or unenjoyable yep. to that learning can be enjoyable. Absolutely. It can be fun. Absolutely. I mean, music makes us want to move. Absolutely. You know, it makes yep. us want to smile. Yep. And to have that be cognitively linked to learning and enjoyment and achievement, all of those things start to link together in our brains, it's going to change our whole outlook. We get probably most frequently from students is it's made math fun, okay. right? We say, imagine if walking into math class felt like walking into a party. Hmm. I can actually hear the doubters in my brain still having this resistance that, yeah, it's great to give students some fun, but fun is not rigor. And the research just doesn't bear that out. Right. Um, I'm, and I, I want you to talk about what's next. So you're growing, you're expanding into other areas of math. You're yep. even thinking about other content areas. We are. You're thinking about additional grade levels. Yep. So outline that for us. Yeah, absolutely. So um, rigor is essential to us. I mean, I could tell you I've had funny conversations with music producers and songwriters where they're like, it sings better if I sing this word. And I'm like, but you can't because it's, it's, you know, not, it's, not, it's not correct. So rigor is exceptionally important to us. Uh, our upcoming content, which I'm so excited about, um, really starts to double down on conceptual understanding of math. Okay. So it's not sufficient to know that any number times zero is zero. Why is any number times zero, zero? Mm. Most adults can't answer that question. So, but our new content does, right? So what mm -hmm. we're 
what we're doing, I think, better than before and very solidly with the new content is establishing these conceptual frameworks and understanding for math, teaching kids how to think mathematically. Um, to your point, math is iterative. And so if we can start to build that foundation in elementary school and students grasp the concepts, they are so well positioned for success. for success in math. And so that was something that was important to us. When we started in middle school, because middle school is your last opportunity to get a student proficient before they take algebra, mm -hmm. um, and really shocking statistic, if a student doesn't pass algebra on his or her first attempt, they're less likely to graduate from high school. Mm. And then we're well aware of the correlations between dropping out of high school and life outcomes. So this is a very, like pre-algebra middle school math, this is very high stakes subject. Yeah. And so we started there because of that. And also we felt like this was our last chance to get those students ready. Well, the challenge is, unfortunately, kids are coming into middle school with gaps. Mm -hmm. So we've now expanded our focus into third, fourth, fifth grade. Yeah, start sooner. Yeah. Start sooner. Mm -hmm. um, heavy emphasis on concepts. And the new content is going to be really really exciting. And so, when is that happening? Um, that should be ready beginning of school year 22-23, so uh, fall of 22. Okay. Yep. And I know that Museology is right now looking at possible statewide adoption yep. in all of Florida. You're working in states all around the union. Will you work with a single school? Absolutely. Do you only do district adoption? We, we work with anybody okay. who wants to use the power of music to supercharge learning. Okay, so say there's like a homeschooler listening and yep. thinking, I gotta get my hands on this for my kids. Absolutely. Um, parents can get uh, a subscription for okay. family subscription, sub subscription for, for kids. Um, and might I add, like now more so than ever, we really want to be here for our educators and parents. Like mm -hmm. we know teachers don't want is like another tool thrown at them that they've got to learn how to use and figure out. Instead, we're like a second teacher in the classroom. We, mm -hmm. we are a support system for a teacher. We want to be that thing that makes the teacher wake up in the morning and smile and go, I'm actually excited to go to work today and step into math class. Yeah. And I'm thinking about another gap or kind of problem that this is addressing right now, which is teacher shortages. There's oh, yeah. teacher shortages everywhere. So you've got classrooms full of substitutes yep. or multi-grade levels or somebody filling in who's not actually even a math teacher. Yep. And this is a resource that can keep those kids from falling further behind. Absolutely. I mean, teacher shortages... It's a, it's a big problem. It's a crisis. We want to step in and say, hey, here's a way that any educator can keep rigorous instruction occurring in the classroom. And then long term down the road, is the sky the limit? Like, are sky we going to jump into literacy? What are we doing? Uh, literacy is literacy is high on our list. OK. You know, a grand slam for us is there is a day where someone goes, in 2022, you didn't use music to learn everything. Yeah. Why not? Through using music, we're seeing students from all backgrounds and quote unquote levels of ability thrive and achieve and succeed, which is beautiful. And that's the power of the universality of music. And, you know, my from when I was 13 years old and I started working in the learning space at a very young age, I became a staunch believer in the notion that 
every student's capable of learning and achieving, mm -hmm. right? It's just, are we teaching that student in a manner that resonates with them? And when you do, and when that eureka moment happens and that transformation happens for a student, then the sky's the limit for them as well. Integers can be positive numbers, negative numbers are zero. A number lies a good way to represent integers as we go. You can find Musology linked in the episode notes. They offer a free 30-day trial and also extended risk-free pilot-to-purchase programs for schools and districts. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain by giving your students access to musically enhanced, differentiated learning with gamified assessment. I wish I'd had it, and I'm thinking maybe it's never too late to conquer math. Anyway, go to edcuration.com and search M-U-Z-O-L-O-G-Y. And while you're there, check out our short professional learning explorations on all kinds of immediately applicable topics. Try different kinds of resources before you buy through our certified ed trustees and find our blog, weekly newsletter, upcoming webinars, and all of our other podcast episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll give us a star rating and a review and tune in again next week to the Ed Curation podcast where we're reshaping learning.